Hello, Redemption Arcadia. Welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you so much for being here. Uh, I myself am so excited that we get to begin to regather again, and so with that in mind, uh, we want to begin with a time of worship today, so would you stand? Um, this is my wife, Liz, if you all don't know her, and I'm Tyler. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, we love to be able to lead worship together, and so thankful that we get to lead with you all participating today. So uh, let me pray, and we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. God, we're so thankful that we get to begin to gather again, uh, that you are, uh, you have been working this whole time across the world and in our lives, and Lord, we're grateful to be able to share in that together again today. Would you be glorified in this time? of worship, would you uh, grow us uh, by the power of your word and of your spirit, and that, Lord, we might uh, see a clearer picture of who you are today. Lord, in particular, we ask that you would lead us in your paths of righteousness for your name's sake, and would you be glorified in all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing.
desire for your name to be great throughout the world and in our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you're not standing, we'd, we'd invite you to stand. And if you're already standing, uh, would you remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord read? Hi, Arcadia family. My name is Alex. And I'm Ryan. And we are the McKellips, and we both serve on the greeting team. Our scripture reading for today is from Psalm 23. Please turn there in your Bibles and follow along. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Hi guys, good to see you. You may be seated, and it's great to see all of you today as well. We are hoping and praying that this is the last pre-recorded Sunday sermon that we're going to do. We're going to be live streaming at least one of our Sunday sermons starting next week, the 14th, when we begin actually regathering. But it's Friday afternoon, June 5th right now. Uh, and I am encouraged because um, we have, as, as a congregation, we're about 10 years old right now. We have just set an attendance record for a Friday afternoon worship service. We have 14 people here. That's a new record, 14 people. It's also the only Friday afternoon worship service we've ever had. But uh, I do want to draw your attention to uh, our plans to regather once again. Uh, this will be, now you're watching this on Sunday now, so it'll be next Sunday, the 14th that we are going to be regathering, and we're going to start with four services, and they're going to look pretty much like what we're doing right here. This is what we're calling a dry run. Uh, we're going to make the services a little bit shorter for three or four weeks. Uh, we're going to have two songs, uh, the scripture reading, a message, and then we're going to take a communion together, and the communions are going to be individual little communions uh, so that we can, again, make sure that we're practicing uh, social distancing and all the safety requirements that we need. So our services are going to be at 8.30, 9.45, 11, and then at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. But before we even get to Sunday the 14th to regather on Sunday services, we're going to be regathering on uh, Thursday evening, June 11th, to talk about the uh, George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and all of that stuff that's been going on uh, with that. That will begin in, here in the sanctuary at 6.30 and we'll go probably 75 minutes till about 7.45, maybe just a few minutes longer, but uh, we would encourage you to come uh, to that as well. We are going to record that event, but we're not going to live stream it, so you'll be able to watch it later, but you won't be able to watch it in real time on Thursday night. Uh, we would encourage you to be here, though, in person for that. We wanted to discuss this uh, situation in person. We think that would be best for, uh, for that. In any event, uh, uh, whatever you're planning on coming here for, at least for the next four weeks, you do have to, have to RSVP on our website. So I'm directing you to our website to be able to sign up for the Thursday night, June 11th event, 
and the Sunday morning services because we need to cap for at least the next three or four weeks, we need to cap our Sunday, uh, our Sunday all day sun services at 75, just to be sure. I don't think we're gonna necessarily hit that cap in any of the services, but just in case we do need to keep them capped for the next three or four weeks. All right, enough about that. We're in our third week of Psalm 23. Let me pray and we'll get into that. Uh, Lord God, as we open your word again to this magnificent Psalm, I just pray that our hearts would also be opened to what you have to say to us, uh, not only in truth, uh, but also in application to our lives, in, in deed as well. And so help us with that. Uh, I pray that in the midst of this, even though I am the one delivering the message, I pray that you'd move me out of the way and that your spirit would work today uh, in, in this message and through your word. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, third week in Psalm 23, God is our shepherd, and he leads us, and that is good for us. And I want you to remember, if God is our shepherd, if God is our shepherd, then we are either his sheep, or if we've decided to turn away from him, we are goats or wolves. We need to understand that. There's really no other path for us. We're either his sheep, and we are his, We've embraced him as our shepherd, or we've decided that we're goats or even wolves. It's interesting how Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, is set up as a dichotomy between the wise person and the foolish person, and then the book of Proverbs is asking all the way through, which one are you going to be? It's, the book of Proverbs is really written towards the person who's on the fence about whether or not they want to be wise or foolish. And so it presents what wise people and foolish people do and says, all right, get off the fence and let's just go ahead and make the decision. And if you stay on the fence, you might as well just assume that you're going to choose foolishness. Well, in that same way, will we opt for God as our shepherd or are we going to stick with something else as our shepherd, ourselves or maybe some other shepherd that will eventually not only fail us but will probably even bring harm to others in our life, even people that we love and care about. And we choose shepherds all the time. I hope you understand that. We're choosing shepherds all the time. We can't help it. We're going to worship something in this life, in this world. We can't help it. What are you going to worship? We're going to serve something in this life. We can't help it. What are you going to serve? We also choose shepherds. Choose wisely. We can't help it. And if we choose incorrectly, it's, it's not going to end well. So far, what we've looked at, we've looked at the first two and a half verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And today, we're going to look at the last half of verse 3. Next week will be verse 4. And then the final week will be verses 5 and 6. So today, we're looking at specifically, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, for his glory. Notice how everything in scripture keeps pointing us to God, not to us. Okay? Now, before we get to that, uh, that last half of verse 3, uh, I want to I bring this up. This will take just a, a few minutes, but I think it's, it's helpful. As I was studying and pondering uh, Psalm 23... I actually came across our founding pastor, Tom Schrader. I came across his wonderful outline of Psalm 23, and I'm going to present that uh, to you. Uh, the way he's broken it down is he has 17 different sections of Psalm 23. It's only six verses, 
but he has 17 different sections. What he's done is he has a statement of fact from the psalm, and then he has our life application, what it means to us. So uh, uh, the Lord is our shepherd, and then there's a, there's a statement of fact about that. So I'm going to run through all 17 of those so you can hear them. So the Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. I shall not want. That's his provision for us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's his rest for us. He leads me beside still waters. That's his refreshment for us. He restores my soul. That's his healing for us. And today, what we're looking at, these two statements, he leads me in paths of righteousness. That's his guidance and wisdom for for us. And, And it's for his name's sake. That gives us our purpose. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's our testing. We've talked about that. I will fear no evil. That's his protection for us. For you are with me. That's his faithfulness for us and to us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's his discipline for us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's his hope for us. You anoint my head with oil. That's his consecration for us or setting apart. We are set apart when we are his. My cup overflows. That's his abundance for us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's his blessing on us. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. That's our security that he gives us. And forever. That's our eternity with him. Now, let me, just, let me just reiterate the application points there, the 17 application points. This is what God gives us in this tiny little six-verse psalm. Relationship, provision, rest, refreshment, healing, guidance and wisdom, purpose, testing, protection, faithfulness, discipline, hope, Consecration, abundance, blessing, security, and all for eternity. It's magnificent. So verse 3, he leads us in passive righteousness for his name's sake. Literally, if you look at the ancient language there, literally it could be translated, and some people would argue it should be translated this way. He guides me into paths that are right for God. Now, wouldn't those be righteous paths if they're right for God? So literally, that's what it's saying. He's not guiding us us just into paths of righteousness, but paths that are right for God. And he does that for his name's sake, for his glory. Now, the challenge with this, of course, is, again, the world we live in. And in many ways, the world we live in is different than the world that uh, David wrote this psalm in some 3,100 years ago. But in many ways, it's not so different. Because we still have many of the same cultural pressures today. We live in a culture today where we are lectured, discipled, and tutored by the culture that the only path of righteousness that we need to worry about walking on is our own path of righteousness that we have created that's good for us. That we determine that. 
In other words, when, when many people hear this, that God is going to lead us on these paths that are right for God, that are his paths of righteousness, we, we begin to say to ourselves, but wait, 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 wait. But I make my own path. That's not right. I make my own path. That's what the culture tells me. That's what all my gurus tell me. That's what the world teaches me. And frankly, that's what I want and what I expect. I don't want anybody else telling me what my path should be. I know what my path should be, what's best for me. And God comes along and says, no, I can help you with this. And not only help you, but I can lead you and guide you on the right paths. Uh, It's funny. uh, we, We really trust the paths that Google Maps gives us. Do we not? Okay, you get in the car, you're not sure where you're going. All you do is bring it up on Google Maps. And when it comes up and it gives you the directions, seriously now, how often are you sitting there going, eh, I, don't, eh, I don't know, I don't know. See, we trust Google Maps because Google Maps has figured it out thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Why would we ever question it? It's going to give us the right path in order to get somewhere. I know, some, one, of you out there, one of you out there is going, I remember one time I put in the address and it took me to the wrong place. That, that's an outlier, okay? I get that. But most of the time we get in the car, boom, here's the address, we're fine. And we trust that. We, tr- we not only implicitly, but explicitly, we trust Google to never be wrong, okay? But when it comes to God and his wisdom and the Bible, well... I don't know. We at least need to have some discussion first, and we need to figure out the nuances and exceptions. See, the Bible, God's word, his wisdom, it's a GPS system for our soul. It's God maps. We're all on a path, but is it a correct path? The path of God's righteousness is the only correct path. Sooner or later, all of our other paths will betray us. I... I have rarely been able to read this little section of this psalm without thinking about hay mazes. Okay, a hay maze. Y'all know what a hay maze is? There's a picture up there, I hope. Anyway, um, years ago when Shelby and Darby were little, uh, I remember uh, across from Cardinal Stadium on the other side of the 101 in Glendale, uh, there was a farmer or something out there that had this incredible hay maze. And it was like 15 bucks to get in and then get lost, okay? But it was like, it was 15 bucks, per, but it was so much fun. It was this huge uh, hay maze. And what I found interesting is that there was a platform above the hay maze that could see the entire maze. And you had to have people standing up there because there were always people who would go into the maze and literally could not get out. They were picking the wrong paths. And now they desperately need guidance. They, they, need, they need help. They need their path of righteousness out of the hay maze. And, and I'm telling you, every time we would go out there, it would, we would start with such great excitement. And it would be so much fun. And then pretty soon, you could feel the frustration starting to you know, creep in because every turn we take, everywhere we go, we can't figure out how to get out. And so um, the kids and frankly, me as well, the kids were always thankful that Jackie was the one standing on the top telling us where to go. Because I'm in tears, I can't, get, I can't figure it out. You know, anyway, but see, here you go. See, God is standing above the hay maze. That's what he's doing. 
And he's telling us, he's directing us, if we would just listen. Could you imagine if Jackie's up there and we're lost and, and, and I were to say to Jackie, who sees the entire maze and, and knows how to get out, okay? Like I'm starving to death now. Dwight Schrute is having fun with this, okay? All right, I'm starving to death. I want to get out. I'm crying and everything. And Jackie says, all you got to do is make a right, a left, a right, and, and you're out. And I'm, no, I think you're wrong. That's what we do with God when we say, we're not going to follow your path of righteousness. Okay? So let's talk a little bit about righteousness now from the perspective of the person who wrote this psalm. That would be King David. So let's talk about King David and what we can uh, legitimately assume are his understandings of righteousness from what we learn about him in Scripture. Because there's a lot in Scripture that we can learn about from King David. So here's the question I would like to ask. What did, what did David care about? You think about his life, you think about the things he did, the things he talked about, the things he wrote about, the things he sang about. What did David care about? Well, certainly he cared about God, for sure. He also cared about Israel. He cared about his people. He cared deeply about justice, although sometimes he had a funny way of inflicting it. But he cared deeply about justice. He cared deeply about mercy. And he cared deeply about joy. I would say, those are the kind of the five top things that I gather. So God, Israel, justice, mercy, and joy. There's one other thing that David cared deeply about. He cared deeply about his sin. And I don't mean necessarily about him trying to get rid of his sin, but about him enjoying his sin, about him committing. He cared deeply about that. Read, and it's not just the Bathsheba fiasco. There were many other sins that David pursued seemingly with all of his heart and willingly pursued. What that tells us and should tell us is that here's David, this, this hero of the Bible that, that is often held up as the greatest king in Israel's history. And, and you know, he's kind of like, in some respects, he's like Paul in the New Testament. We we sort of superheroize Paul in the New Testament. And what we need to remember is that he's a fallen sinner, just like the rest of every person needs redemption. Every person needs this intervention of God in their lives for us through the Messiah, through the Savior, Jesus Christ, his cross, and his resurrection. We all need this outside intervention. David could not pick himself up by his own moral and ethical bootstraps and save himself. He needed God, just like you and I. We all need redemption. I mean, I mean he's, a, he's a man after God's own heart. That's not me talking. That's Scripture describing David, and yet he still needs this redemption because he has this sin just like us. Anyway, David writes that God leads us to and he leads us in the way of righteousness. So from David's perspective, that would mean that to know God is righteous. To care for people, to care for others is righteous. To seek what is right for those who are being wronged is righteous. To give mercy even to those who don't deserve it. I would say that is the definition of mercy, those who don't deserve it. That is righteous. And to live in joy when things stink 
is righteous. It's what Tyler said last week in our little conversation about the second and first half of third verse. What, when he quoted his wife, Helena, who said, we can still sip from the quiet waters even when we're in the valley. That's, that's joy. To serve others sacrificially is righteous, and to accept discipline and correction from God is righteous. David was righteous in all of these ways, and that's good. And as I said, David's remembered as Israel's greatest king and a man after God's own heart. But like us, David had many issues. David battled many demons. He sinned deeply. Now, David had many great victories in his life, tons of great victories, and we love those. We especially love to teach those in children's ministry. Okay. But he also suffered tragic, tragic losses. And those tragic losses, understand this, those tragic losses in David's life were almost always the result of his sin and foolishness. It was almost always the result of David trying to forge his own path and not following God's paths of righteousness. So David is writing Psalm 23, and this line in this verse in particular from his own experience, understanding that when he betrays God's paths, he gets himself into trouble. Isn't it interesting that the next verse that comes is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you see that? And as a result, this might be the most important thing that we learn from David's authorship of this psalm. His emphasis on joy was never as a result of easy life circumstances. So many of us have this False understanding that joy can only come when things are just so. When things are perfectly aligned, when things are just right. When things are the way I want them to be. That's the only time that joy can come. But we're reminded in this psalm that joy is driven by a relationship. It's driven by knowing God. It's, by, it's driven by falling into the arms of the resurrected Jesus. It's not driven by the fact that your circumstances are the way you like them. That's happiness, not joy. David's life, think about this, David's life was rarely just so. How often do you read in Scripture where an extended part of Scripture about David where everything was just wonderful? It seemed like there was always something going on, some lesson to be learned. Okay, that again is like our lives. And the fact that his life was, was rarely just so was sometimes as the result of other people's sin in his life. Yes. He had trouble with Saul, for instance. He had trouble with his wife as well, one of his wives as well. Often the reason his, wife, his life wasn't just so was because of his own sin. And sometimes the reason things weren't just so in David's life was because of what we might call just simply corporate sin, that the fallen nature of this world, of this universe, the fact that everything is corrupt. It wasn't his sin specifically. It wasn't somebody else's sin specifically. It's just the fact that we live in a fallen, sinful world. But his life was rarely just so. It's that corporate sin that comes in sometimes. And yet, even in the midst of any of those sins, his sin, other sin, corporate sin, he had joy because ultimately he longed for God and pursued righteousness, the righteousness of God. His moments of least joy, read your Bibles, it was always when he decided to carve out his own path and not follow God's path. 
In other words, it was always when he broke relationship with God in order to do his own thing. Now, God didn't break the relationship. This was David walking away from God, God not walking away from David. But when he did that, that's when he had his moments of least joy because the relationship was broken on David's end. We, we all need to be better about following God's leadership and righteousness. That's what I would say. We cannot let our guard down on this even for a second. Pursue God's righteousness, his right path. Jesus tells us really the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Seeking righteousness, seeking the right path is the first order of business for anyone who is serious about life, about peace, about joy, about love, and about grace. In the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things. Another way to, to define that is the pagans, the people who don't know God. The people who don't know God seek after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, the payoff verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This is where life is, is making sure that we have our priorities right and we're seeking God first. This is where shalom is, that life harmony, that life peace. It's prioritizing correctly, putting the righteous things first. C.S. Lewis is famous for writing that if you... in in your life, if you aim for the world, you're going to miss the world and you're going to miss God. But if you aim for God, you'll get the world thrown in as a bonus. That's, that's him just rewording what Jesus is saying here in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And then this line in the, in the psalm ends, for his name's sake. So God leads us into these paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Again, Tom Schrader, his big deal was, you need to remember that when God leads us, when God tests us, when God gives us blessing, whatever it is that God is doing, it's always for our good and his glory. That the first order of business is God's glory, not our glory. Our glory is not at issue. It's not even, our glory is not even something that we're supposed to be pursuing, no matter what the world tells us. And the world is always telling us, pursue your glory, pursue your glory. But when we participate in God's glory, that's when we are glorified. When we pursue his glory, when we participate in his glory, that's when we are glorified. Read Romans chapter 8. That's ultimately where you land in Romans chapter 8, is that we are glorified in him. You and I will be unsuccessful in seeking glory on our own. But when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we are then subsumed into or absorbed by his glory. That's what scripture teaches us. And, and listen closely here. It's not just what scripture teaches. It's the same pattern with the pursuit of happiness. And I don't mean the Will Smith movie. I'm talking about just how everybody wants to be happy. Everybody's pursuing happiness. Okay? I will tell you, every philosopher, psychologist, theologian, and social scientist will tell you the same thing about the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is never the result of pursuing happiness. People who are happy didn't pursue it and caught it, and now they're hanging on to it. It never works that way. Can't be done. Happiness, they say, is always a byproduct of pursuing a greater good. It's a byproduct of pursuing the holiness of God or unconditional love. 
or serving others or selfless sacrifice. That's when people are happy. When they're pursuing something greater than just happiness, happiness becomes a byproduct. We are so jacked up in our understanding of glory and happiness and fulfillment and success and fame. And yet God just very simply sets us straight here in this Psalm of David's. Consider this statement. Here's a great statement that helps us understand how to prioritize things. As Christians, we need to feel the burden of stewardship more than the mightiness of money. As Christians, we need to feel the burden of stewardship more than the mightiness of money. This is a great thing. This is a great example of making sure that we put the, the right things first. Joy and life and grace and righteousness comes not from great wealth. Not that there's anything wrong with great wealth. But when we prioritize great wealth over and above the fact that God has blessed us and now we have a responsibility to steward that wealth, that's when we get into trouble. When we elevate the great wealth above what it is that, that God is calling us to do with that. The proper stewardship of whatever we have, whether you're wealthy or not wealthy, proper stewardship of your resources is really what God is calling us to. And that can be time or talent or energy or money. So paths of righteousness, the right paths. You think that's hard trying to find God's right paths? Think it's challenging? Well, here you go. It is. It's hard because it's hard. Okay? But consider Jesus' path. Consider his path of righteousness. Consider his right path that God had given him. Is anyone up for that? That would be the cross. Any volunteers for that? We have a sign-up sheet in the back. If you're interested, you can also sign up online if you're interested in the crucifixion deal. Okay? But Jesus saw that, and even though in his humanity he didn't want to do it, as God, it was his joy to do that. We're told that in Hebrews. The cross was a joy set before him. That's the gift of the gospel. And he's done it for us. He blazed a trail that we could never blaze for ourselves. But now we get to follow that trail. That's what we're called to is following that, that trail that he blazed. And that goes from Joseph in the Old Testament to Moses to David to Daniel to Esther to Ruth to Paul and to John and to Peter and to James. And now to us. Today, we can be led by God into his right path. I want to close with this. Very recently, I, uh, I don't know much about Pepperdine University other than it's in California. Is that right? Okay, I think so. There, at least there's an ocean near it. I know that for sure. Okay. Um, but I recently learned about a significant memorial that was built there and finished on September 11th, 2003, two years after 9-11. It's called the Pepperdine University Heroes Garden. And there's some pictures up on, on, the, on the screen if you want to look at those. I mean, it is absolutely, these are just pictures. I haven't been there yet. Uh, but it's magnificent. I, I understand it's 1,200 feet above sea level. There's almost a 180 degree uh, vision that you can see from it. Um, it's on a little over a half an acre, so it's a pretty significant uh, sized piece of, of land. Um, I'm sure many of you remember the story of Flight 93 on 9-11, the Les, the Les Roll gang, okay? They're, they're, the, they're the four who charged, the, they found out what was going on with the other, what happened with the other three planes, 
And this plane was over Pennsylvania when they figured that out, and it was headed uh, apparently for the White House. It was going to dive bomb the, light, the White House. And these, there's four guys on the plane who decided they're going to go ahead and just charge the hijackers. They knew they were dead anyway, so they were just going to take the plane down and hopefully keep it from getting to its destination. And the plane did end up crashing in Stony Creek Township in Pennsylvania. So they saved the White House, but everybody aboard uh, died. Well, a guy named Thomas Burnett was one of the four Les Roll gang that was on the plane and took on the terrorists. And Thomas Burnett is an alum of Pepperdine University. And so this was built not only in his honor, but in, in the honor of other heroes as well. And though I know many of you say, wait, wait, it was Todd Beamer who actually yelled less roll on the plane. Todd Beamer and his wife wrote a book about it. I've read, the, I've read the book. But it's interesting. Apparently, the flight recorder also picked up the fact that um, Thomas Burnett also yelled roll it somewhere after um, Beamer said let's roll. So he's an alum of Pepperdine, and they built this for him and other heroes like him. So why do I tell you this about this? this hero's garden. Well, etched in the stone path that eventually leads you out of the memorial garden are the words to Psalm 23. Talking about God's presence with us and his love for us. His paths of righteousness. The fact that we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Probably more than once in our lifetime, we're going to walk through that valley the fact that God leads us beside quiet waters and he makes us lie down in green pastures and the fact that God prepares a table before our enemies as well. Why? Because you are with me. God is with us. Uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we are thankful for your word and its truth and we're thankful for David and for him writing these words down in addition to all the other psalms that he wrote, but especially this one that has so much to it, 17 points of application in our life. So God, I pray that we would learn this psalm and meditate on this psalm and that it would lead us to know you even more. God, thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross and for our new life in the resurrection. And it's in his name that we make this prayer. Amen. So, we are actually going to do communion. And we have the individual communion packs. We have them right here. So, we're being very safe even about communion, which is good. This is the first time, other than a couple of weddings I've done during this time, this is the first time that I've been able to say these words almost three months and I've missed it and it's significant we must remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread with his disciples this is during the Passover meal so he's changing the Passover meal to a new covenant meal in a sense he's not dishonoring the Passover meal he's just explaining that there's something new that's come in him that is for us and he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. He broke it. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when he was done with that, he picked up the cup of the wine and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, 
poured out for your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, Paul tells us, and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, which is what we're all waiting for, is for him to come again in his glory. So in your time as, as Tyler plays, in your time now, go ahead and take and eat of the body of Christ and drink of the new covenant. Lord God, we're grateful for this opportunity to be able to do this again with you. We praise you, we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Savior, I come, quiet my soul, remember, redemption's here, your blood was spilled for my upon you and give you his peace forever and ever. Amen. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus. And as you do that, please exit this way. See you next week. We will see you next week. Yes. (laughs)